0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Missio podcast. You know, it's hard to believe that this is actually the first week of Advent. And I realized that (laughs) we're a little bit early for Advent at Missio, but that's because at Missio, we take the final two weeks of the year off. We don't have a time of worship, and that's very, very intentional on our parts to help kind of everyone have a time of Sabbath and to be with family and friends for the holidays. And so we had to start at Advent just a week early, which is okay. Um, because we love the season, and we like to spend time just talking about this idea of the arrival of Jesus. And so that is what we're talking about Advent. You know, advent simply means the arrival of someone or something of importance. and And so churches around the world during the advent season are celebrating the arrival of King Jesus, who came to earth as a little baby two thousand years ago. And there is, I think anticipation and expectation that comes along with waiting for things, right? That God's people, you know, for centuries had been waiting in anticipation for the arrival of the Messiah and all that he would bring. You know, things like hope. They believed that the Messiah would establish them as a mighty kingdom, but also they anticipated things like peace and love and joy that would come along with the arrival of the Messiah. And so this season of Advent for Christians really is about sitting in that anticipation the expectation of the arrival of King Jesus, but we're doing so in a little bit of a different way than it was for the Israelites throughout the Old Testament because for us, in 2023, entering into 2024, Jesus has already arrived on earth. I mean, this is what we're celebrating in this time of year. We're telling his story. We read about the manger and the wise men. uh, And and, and so we are celebrating that. But what exactly then is our anticipation and expectation? If he's already arrived 2,000 years ago, what is our Advent? If you guys remember, very early on in our teachings this year, on our theme that we've been in, uh, which has been seeking God's kingdom first, we talked about this idea of the two Advents. The first Advent being that we celebrate during the Christmas season. That happened, again, 2,000 years ago. But there is a second Advent that will happen at the return of Jesus to restore all things, to make all things new. Uh, And that's going to happen in some future moment. And, And between those two Advents sits our story, the story of Missio Church in Seattle, Washington, in 2023. And much like other people who wait in anticipation for things, there are things that we are actually called to do as we wait. Let I me mean, think about this. How many of you guys love the Christmas season? Think of think for a moment just about all of the things that you enjoy doing as you get ready for Christmas. You know, you you buy a tree, right? You buy gifts, listen to Christmas music, you watch Christmas movies. I think we often talk about this idea of the magic of the Christmas season, that there is actually something about the arrival of Christmas morning that causes us to shift and change the way that we live, the way that we engage with the people around us, the way that we think about family and friends and hot cocoa and all sorts of different things. The season changes us in so many ways, and that, I think, is part of the power of the season. Even if the season just changes you based on your own traditions and interests, there is something that shifts in us because of the anticipation of the arrival of Christmas. And what happens then as a result of those changes is that Christmas actually begins to saturate our lives long before December 25th actually arrives. I mean, think about this, guys. Christmas is honestly, it's just one day. It's a single day. It's December 25th, and yet the gravity and force of the anticipation of Christmas causes Christmas to change an entire season of our lives, long before that day actually arrives. And really the same is true for Advent. Advent is more than just a retelling of a story 2,000 years old. It's more than just talking about ancient people who were waiting in anticipation for the arrival of the Messiah. The reason that Advent is relevant for us today is because the first Advent ushered in the truth that the second Advent would one day arrive to make all things new, to heal and to restore, where hunger and thirst are gone, where suffering cause, er, ceases and weapons of war are turned into tools that feed. And because of that second Advent that is off in the distant future, we are changed and we are continuing to change now. And we talked at the very beginning of the year, and really all year we've been talking about this, about how the reality of the second advent is breaking through into our current reality so that the things like hope and joy and peace and love, although they're not fully realized now, um, they are beginning to shape how we understand and see the world now. Again, they're not in their perfect forms like they will be when Jesus comes again, but they are nonetheless breaking through in our world, and Jesus is working now to reshape the world. And I think this is why Advent is so important, because it's more than just talking tangentially about four ideas that are attached to the birth story of Jesus. It's about seeing and participating in and creating more of four of the most tangible realities of that future perfect kingdom that Jesus is breaking into our world right now. And so this year for Advent, we're going to talk about, you know, hope and peace and joy and love like we do every year, but we want to do so in a way that inspires us to reach into each of those realities to bring the best of heaven near for the people around us. And so this week we're talking about hope. And you know, to me, hope is one of those very just kind of elusive concepts. I think because hope actually tends to mean something different for every person that you talk to. You know, is hope merely a wish? Is there a difference between a wish and a hope? Is it dreaming of a new car or a new home? Is it a belief that whatever future, better future that is out there for myself, that it'll actually take place? Is hope faith? Is it the name of a person? What is hope? I think hope is difficult to pinpoint as a universal concept because it shows up in different ways for almost every single person. Everybody is going through something unique in their lives. Our stories are not exact replicas of the person that is next to you. And so hope takes on a different shape based on whatever your story is navigating in the moment. But also, hope is actually, I think, different for different groups of people. As a white, middle-class American male, like myself, obviously, hope means something different than it does for people who are living in systemic injustice or poverty and oppression. Hope means something different to Palestinians and Jews and Ukrainians or, and Russians or people at the border who are simply trying to make a better life for themselves. Hope, in human terms, is very much contingent on you as the individual or the particular group that you're a part of and then your perception of the world's challenges around you. And, and one of the things is, is, as I look and I listen to the world around me, this idea of hope almost gets pitted against itself because of these varying assumptions of what is truly hope and then what we can actually hope in. You know, one of my favorite moments, uh, there's, an, there's a show from the early 2000s called Third Rock from the Sun. And this show is a, a, about aliens who come, there's four aliens that come to live in a small town in Ohio. And they're, the aliens named themselves Tom, Dick, Harry, and Sally. And so Tommy was the youngest and he was in high school. And so he tries out for the basketball team. And before the game, the coach starts praying, you know, Lord, please keep us safe and then help us to beat the the, whatever the high school team, you know, the high school was named or whatever, help us to beat that team. And so Tommy stops the coach and he's like, why are we praying for God to help us win? The other team is also praying that exact thing right now. And then he says, oh, is, is our God stronger than their God? (laughs) To which the coach is like, no, there's only one God. And again, confused. Tommy's like, so what is it that we're praying about? Like he's confused because he feels like these prayers are are in conflict with one another both teams can't be praying for god to allow them to win because that's like pitting itself against each other and so often we identify and then we place these claims on things like hope for ourselves we define it for ourselves and then we say this is what god has intended you know when he sent jesus to bring hope to the world he was intending For me and my family to feel comfortable, to have a great job, to live in the suburbs, or whatever it is that Jesus has done to bring hope to the world. Or it's this, or it's that, or it's something different. And then I think that we see the way that hope is defined in other people's lives, and we think, look, if only they knew real hope. (laughs) If only they knew what real hope is. But if everybody believes that hope is getting what I want, then there will be 7 billion different things competing for what hope truly is. And yet I don't believe that the hope that Jesus brought at his advent was really 7 billion different versions of hope competing against each other. His hope has to be something different, something that calls all of humanity into something greater and more powerful than we could possibly imagine. So what is the hope? that we are supposed to participate in, that was brought in the advent of Jesus. What is that hope? I want to look at a a passage. It's actually Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 28. And this is not your typical advent passage, which is just fine. But these 10 verses all carry a very cohesive thought that tends to, in churches, get broken up into kind of three different, often disconnected, Uh, ways of interpreting them. But when we disconnect this passage, we miss the heart of what Paul is trying to help us understand about our role in the story of hope for the world. And so let's read this passage and then we'll dig in. And it says, starting in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the, for the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay, and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together, as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves— Who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for one for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. Likewise the Spirit knows or helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought but that very spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that that in all things, God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And this is the word of God from from Romans chapter 8. And so Paul starts this section of Romans 8 by drawing our attention to the sufferings of all of creation. Both the earth and the people who live on the earth all experience very real and often very intense suffering. We mentioned a bit of those places of pain earlier, global wars, oppression, systemic injustice, painful loss, or tragic news that continues to flood our world. But it isn't just things that are far off, right? There is very real and very present suffering and pain in our city right now. And part of the challenge of hope, as we celebrate it in the advent of Jesus... Is that we proclaim that Jesus is the hope of the world, like he's hope for healing, hope for peace, hope for Sabbath in the midst of chaos. And yet we look around and we see that two thousand years removed from his much anticipated arrival, and there are still all the same moments of pain and suffering taking place all around us. And I think this is exactly what Paul actually noticed as well as well. He says, All of creation waits with eager longing to be set free from the pain and suffering that have ravaged it for thousands of years. And yet we don't sit in anger or eager anticipation with our arms crossed, feeling irritated that nothing seems to be happening to make life better. Paul says when we notice all the things that people are going through, there is something very important and very tangible that we are called into because of the pain that we see. And it doesn't require us to look from a distance wishing that things would get better. It requires that we begin to move ourselves toward that pain in compassion and empathy, carrying one of the most important things with us, which is hope. And then Paul says this weird thing. He says, Hope isn't hope if we can see the thing that we're hoping for. And I think what he's trying to say is just because we can't see all of the healing that we long to see in its totality right in the moment doesn't mean that that healing isn't beginning to break into our reality all around us. And so be patient. Have you ever thought, this is something I was thinking about this week, have you ever thought over the last month and a half or so. What good can I honestly do in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict that is going on right now? This is something that's been present for generations, right? I'm here. It's there. What good can I honestly do? And, and I think that Paul really understood this tension of noticing pain and suffering that, that's going on, but also going, what am I supposed to do about this? What am I what am what is my role in this? How do I play a part in what is taking place that seems so far above who I am? And he says hope is not about knowing exactly what to do, but rather it's having a willingness to admit that we don't have the answers and yet still we step into the pain that we see in prayer and then we find small ways to engage and participate in healing with compassion and empathy because I think Hope dares to believe in something beyond ourselves, beyond our capabilities, beyond our limited scope or imagination. And maybe you and I don't have the silver bullet to end a war or to save people's lives, but I promise you that there are people all around us in this city who are still being affected by what is happening over there. And we do have the power to show up in those people's lives to simply be a presence of comfort and of peace and of love with them. But what about other things that feel like much more closer to home? What do we do with that kind of suffering and pain? When I was working with the victim support team with the Seattle Police Department, I would tell the people who worked there full-time that it was really really hard not knowing the end of the stories of some of the crises that we intervened in. And so our role as these part-time overnight workers was to, uh, our, our role was crisis intervention. And so there would be a domestic violence situation that would occur, and we would show up to help those people create a plan for their safety. But it didn't provide long-term care for them. That was the job of the other people who worked full-time with the victim support team. And I would just tell those people, look, it's really hard not knowing the end of these people's stories. You want that. You want to know, are they okay? How are they doing? But the lady that ran VST said something that was really, I think, important for me to hear. And she just said, look, your role is to step into the pain of people's lives and give them just a little bit of hope in the moment. And then you've got to trust that we are continuing to be present in their lives after you are gone. And see, I think this is the real power of hope and the real truth of what Paul is saying, that hope, as it was designed by God and then brought to humanity by Jesus, is not something that rests in one individual's hands alone that more often God is working through people who are willing to step into other people's stories with them, and in that collective willingness to step into something that we don't fully know how to solve, the hope of Jesus begins to use each of us who show up to shape and change the story, to bring little bits of healing by little bits of healing. And so Paul says, you don't go into the pain of the world thinking that we have the power to solve it all on our own. We go into it believing that I have some small role to play, most of the time just to be present and silent with the people around us. And then we wait for Jesus to keep moving, trusting in his hope for the people around us. See, I think sometimes we misunderstand this idea of patience or waiting waiting to mean inactivity. But remember how the magic of Christmas begins to engulf our world long before its arrival ever happens? And it's not the inactivity of people that causes Christmas to now be like this three month long season of our lives. It's participating in the build-up to the very real thing that people so often enjoy about the season that makes it special. Patience doesn't mean inactivity. It means working to bring bits and pieces of the thing that we are anticipating into our lives right now. Paul is saying hope is Hoping for the creation to be freed from its pain and suffering takes patience, but not a patience that is inactive, but rather one that is highly active. And so what does that, again, look like more tangibly? What is it that we're supposed to do? Let's look again at verses 26 and 27 of this passage. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, we cannot remove that section verses 26 and 27 from the previous one. Which is oftentimes what happens. These verses are not talking about how God corrects your prayers if you're praying the wrong things, right? God doesn't look down at us and go, man, that was a really nice try in that prayer, but I'm going to go ahead and let the Spirit take a crack at this because that just was not quite the right thing to pray for. No, Paul is connecting the weakness of our words directly to the pain and suffering of the world around us. He's saying when you look and you see the unfathomable pain and suffering of the world, sometimes the only response that we have is no response at all. Sometimes all we know to do is to find our way into the heart of the pain that we see and just to sit alongside of it without words because ultimately our words will fall flat. And, and I don't honestly pretend to understand how all of this works. But what I know from this passage is that Paul is saying, when we find our way into the heart of the world's pain and enter into it without words, the spirit of God then shows up to do something beyond us, beyond our ability, beyond our words. See, this is what we do with hope. We step into the world's pain with people because when we do, the Spirit of God is brought into the depths of that pain through you and then the Spirit begins to speak to God and intercedes in those moments. I mean, just think about this. Have you ever been in a moment where all you wanted was someone just to be near you in the pain? I think the more that we're willing to step into those moments with people, the more the Spirit is praying to God in ways that we never could. I, I have often felt powerless And wrestled with knowing what to say or knowing what I should do when people are hurting, when there is war in the world, when abuse continues to rise. But I don't think hope requires me knowing the right answers or strategies to help people out. I think hope requires me showing up in people's lives to simply and often silently be present with that person. Because hope, I think, is a place of dwelling and being, not necessarily a destination. And I mean, isn't this exactly what Jesus accomplished in his arrival, in his first advent? He showed up in the midst of humanity's pain, carrying the very presence of God with him to help restore and to heal and to bring peace and kindness through the power of love. And then we get to this final passage, this final portion of this passage. And and again, typically this, this verse, verse 28, is isolated away from the rest of the passage. And usually, the way that this verse is translated is it'll say, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, right? Doesn't sound very much different than how we read it earlier, but it is. And often people will use that translation basically to look at the pain and suffering of the world and, and say things like, don't worry about the hard and painful things that you're experiencing because God's gonna be using it for your good somehow. You know, when my brother died 13 years ago, I would hear things like this. And I don't think any of it was meant as unkind or anything like that, but people would say things like, you know, I'm sorry that he's gone, but God is going to do something good with this. And, and, and honestly, again, I get the sentiment, but but ultimately when you hear that kind of thing in the moments of pain, that does not feel, <laughs> it does not feel good. And ultimately, the truth is that sometimes bad things happen, and there is just simply no reason for it. There's no understanding of how it could ever be good. And Paul isn't saying that God is working all things in your life for your good. The way that it's actually written in the Greek is that we know that in all things, God works for good with those who love him. In other words, this is, again, directly connecting To the suffering of the earth and its people, that God sees the suffering and he has called us, his people who love him, to be his co-workers in creating good in all things for people and for the earth. You know, we've talked a ton at Missio about this Uh, word tov, the Hebrew word for goodness. And that word encapsulates God's character, his love and mercy and grace and compassion, forgiveness, justice, patience, but also his salvation, his redemption, his kindness, his work of removing the suffering and pain of the world. All of this is part of that word tov, the goodness of God. And what Paul is saying is that God has chosen to make you and I people who love him, his co-workers in the healing of the world. That with you and I, God is working to bring goodness to and in all things. Which again makes our role of stepping into the pain of the world so important. Because part of how God has chosen to bring the results of Jesus' hope into the world is through our willingness to show up in humility and presence. Because when we do, the spirit in us works on behalf of those people. Which is really the last part that I want to mention before we close. The connecting thread throughout the entire chapter of Romans chapter 8, and then certainly as Paul is reflecting on the suffering of the earth, the suffering of the people on the earth, the, the, the connecting thread is the Spirit of God. Next year at Missio, we're going to talk a lot more about the Spirit. And I think so often we wonder how we could ever be a place of hope when we ourselves are experiencing pain. We wonder how we could love the people in our lives who are just so hard to love, even when it's so we struggle so much to love ourselves. We wonder how to participate in joy when what we see and feel so often is sadness. And we struggle to understand the nature of peace in a world that is filled with turmoil and tragedy. But one of the things that I've come to believe to be true and one of the things that we see in this passage that Paul was writing to these churches more than 2,000 years ago is that even when you and I are at our best, we are often always going to fall short in our ability to bring the healing that the world so desperately needs and eagerly waits for. When I am at my best, I am still woefully inadequate or I'm just not even... I don't even feel like I have anything to offer. And the point that Paul is making and the point of Jesus' advent is that there is something bigger than you and I at work. Something more powerful than my weakness and for the most part, all that I'm being asked to do is to show up, to stand in the places at the heart of the world's pain and in my inability and weakness to invite God to act. And I just need to say that, that that right there It takes a lot of faith to trust that as we do this, that hope is somehow making its way into the lives of real people. And we go, look, I don't know how all of this works itself out. I don't know what happens next, but I'm going to trust that my role is to show up with people and then Jesus, you're going to have to keep the work going beyond me. You know, hope does not mean preaching at people. It means living our lives with them inviting the spirit to move and to work and to speak deeply into the places of people's lives that need hope the most. This is the hope of Advent. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye now.